pray. Father, we pause before you this morning and we pray for help. Lord, we are desperately in need of you this day and every moment of our lives. And Lord, we ask that you would visit us here this morning, that Lord, you would speak to us through your word. We pray that our hearts would be changed, that our minds would be changed, that we might live within the freedoms of the truth of the gospel. And so, Father, I pray that you would guard my mouth and that your word would go forth and that it would fall upon fertile ground, that it may bear much fruit, that it would give you glory in your kingdom forever and ever, we pray. Amen. The charge has been leveled against Christianity that it is a religion of constraints. Its teachings are far too limiting, it's disengaging, it stifles creativity, and it doesn't allow you to be who you are, so the claim goes. It's, take, for instance, a young artist in Brooklyn named Keith. Keith said that Christians, quote, believe that they have the absolute truth and that everyone else has to believe or else. That attitude endangers everyone's freedom, he says. Or take a woman named Charlene who said of Christianity, quote, there is no room for me in that. That would be my death. I don't want to live for God. I will not. I want to live for my own sake. Charlene believed Christianity would stifle her creativity and growth. Or take Emma Goldman, the 20th century social activist who describes Christianity as the leveler, quote, the leveler of the human race, the breaker of man's will to dare and to do, an iron net, a straitjacket, which does not let him expand or grow. True freedom, it is said in our day, is freedom to create your own meaning and purpose. But Paul, on the other hand, in the book of Galatians, he makes, he makes the case in his letter to the churches of Galatia that freedom is found in the gospel. For only in the gospel do we find freedom from the law of sin and death. And so let us read the case for freedom in the gospel as it is made in the church of Galatians. Paul is going to make the case in this book that freedom is found only in that truth of the gospel. And apart from the gospel, people are only found in bondage. Basically, he is taking the argument that you've heard just a moment ago that Christianity is this sort of straitjacket, and he turns it on its head and says that those who are in the gospel, it is them that is free. Those people are the ones that are in freedom. And so open with me to the book of Galatians, and you look there at the very beginning at chapter 1 as we begin to make the case for this freedom. And I want us to notice from the very beginning, there is this dichotomy that's going on that Paul is creating between this community of bondage and this community of freedom. And this, we're going to start this morning with a community of bondage. That is, those who are living outside of the gospel, those who are trying to harm the gospel, and is those people that are in bondage. And he says that from the very beginning, as we look here from the beginning, look in verse 6 through 9. He says, I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is really not another. Only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even though we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to that which we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so I say again now, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to that which you received, 
Let him be accursed. Now you'll notice there at the beginning of that passage, Paul says, I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel. And obviously what we want to say this morning is the gospel is the good news. That's what the word means. And so when Paul says, if you've added anything or if you've taken anything away from the gospel, then therefore you have caused the gospel to be distorted. You've caused it to be perverted. And if if we have distorted it in any way, Paul says, as you can see there in that text, it's no gospel. That is no good news. That's not good news to add or to take away anything from the gospel. This idea of a works-based gospel is no gospel at all. That's no good news. Working towards justification with God is not good news. Look in chapter 3, verses 10 through 12. It says, For as many as are of the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things, written in the book of the law, to perform them. Now that no one is justified by the law before God is evident, for the righteous man shall live by faith. However, the law is not of faith. On the contrary, he who practices them shall live by them. So what does Paul say of those who desire to live by this sort of moral code, those who desire to live by this law? That is, I'm just going to try to do the right thing. I'm just going to try to keep the Ten Commandments. I'm just going to try to uh, do whatever it is my moral compass within me says. I'm going to try to live in accordance with that, and hopefully at the end of my life, I will stand before the Creator of the universe, and He will look at the scales and begin to say, okay, you did a little bit more good than you did bad, so I'll let you enter in my kingdom. And Paul takes that notion, again, here in chapter 3, verses 10 through 12, and he says, those people that are trying to do that, those people will not be justified in that manner. No one, now that no one is justified by the law before God is evident. Paul says, the righteous man shall live by faith. We find that those that are trying to keep and live within that concept of the law, Paul says, you've got to keep all of it. That doesn't sound like freedom, does it? We were given this image of God. God created us with this moral compass. And that moral compass within us tells us that we fall short quite often, doesn't it? We find that we are constantly falling short and we know that there's something that I must do in order to be made right because I understand that this moral compass within me that I'm trying to keep, I don't do very well at it. And so I constantly think I need to make one more good deed. Perhaps then that will sort of uh, give me credit for those other bad deeds. This image of God tells us that we must be holy because the God we serve is holy and we are falling short and this law keeping is not working. It's a heavy burden. Trying to work towards perfection with rules and regulation, that's bondage. That's bondage. Also, it also has this concept that if if you can sort of keep this law, if you can sort of keep all of these rules, it also says something about yourself. You are also making the claim that somehow there is some, there's an amount of righteousness within you that somehow you can keep this on your own apart from God. And Paul says no. Paul says that if you're going to try to live that way, you have to keep all of the law, all of the time. And friends, I'm telling you this morning, that's bondage, that's slavery. And so we then must ask the question, and it's a good one, well then, Nathan, why do we even have the law? Why is this moral compass within me? Why did God in the Old Testament bring the law to the people? Because you see what's happening here in the book of Galatians is Paul is confronting this idea of a distorted gospel. 
They find these, these Jewish people are coming in saying that these people must be, the men of the community must be circumcised in order to be made right with God. This was, they were adding things to the gospel. And so they were trying to keep the whole of the gospel. And so Paul then answers the question, well, if we have this moral compass, if we have this law that's out there, and somehow I think I'm supposed to be keeping it, I then must answer the question, well, what was the purpose of the law? If it doesn't impart righteousness, well, then what was the purpose in it? Well, Paul answers that question for us in chapter 3, verse 24. He says, Therefore the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ, that we may be justified by faith. And so it is the law that leads us to Christ. It's not guidelines for perfection because we don't measure up to it. Christ was the fulfillment of the law and the fulfillment of that moral uh, compass. Isn't that freeing? Isn't that freeing to know that Christ was that fulfillment on our behalf? And that we don't have to uh, sort of gird ourselves up to try to keep, keep it every day. The law, this moral compass within you was put within you so that, you might, so that it might see that you fall short and that you would begin to live for the Christ that was fu- the fulfillment of that law. And folks, that's good news. That's the gospel that Christ has indeed become the fulfillment of that law. So we, th- we then begin to see, as Paul makes the case, that this understanding of a works-based salvation, this idea of trying to do enough good things to please the Father, that then becomes uh, a bondage. That then becomes a slavery. We find this as we look later in the, in the book of Galatians, in chapter 5, verses 19 through 21. He says, Now the deeds of the flesh are evident which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarned you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. So Paul then begins to make this case further, that this understanding of a works-based salvation, that is trying to do good things to get, receive the favor of God, he says again that that's bondage. We find, for instance, look there in the, in the text, immorality is simply bondage to pornography. Some of you are here this morning, and that's exactly what's going on in your life. It's pornography, that, it's not pornography that frees us. It's pornography that, that enslaves us. We're enslaved to it. Look at, the, look at the rest of the list. Jealousy. Jealousy is bondage to that thing that you so desire. Outbursts of anger is bondage to the thing that you were angered at. Drunkenness is bondage to alcohol. These are evidences of, of slavery. These aren't evidences of freedom. But that's how our culture lives, isn't it? Somehow we think that by becoming one in Christ, that will free me up to watch whatever it is I want to watch. That will free me up to drink whatever it is I want to drink as often as I want to drink it and as many times as I'd like to drink it. It allow me to do all these things, but coming into, as we talked about from Emma Golden in the introduction, coming into the gospel will then sort of limit me. And Paul says, no. All of those other things, those deeds of the flesh, those things are enslaving Look at other religions, what other religions have to say. We find from the Koran this very thing. The Koran says in uh, chapter 23, verses 103 to 104, those whose good deeds weigh heavy in the scales shall triumph, but those whose deeds are light shall forfeit their souls and abide in hell forever. Folks, does that sound like good news? So Islam says, work hard enough, work towards that, try to keep that law, 
If you do enough of them, it's going to put in this sort of scale. And these heavy scales, whoever has more, it'll look, whoever has more good deeds, those people will triumph. That's not good news. That's slavery. That's bondage. We also find in other religions like uh, Buddhism, which doesn't even begin to believe in a god, one has to sort of get away from the world, it says, and to work towards an elevated consciousness, which may or may not be accomplished. And if it is, one experiences bliss for just a moment. So get away from the world, Buddhism says. Get away from the world. Go sit. Try to clear your mind as hard as you can. Just try to clear that mind. And maybe, maybe you're not. You'll, you'll get this blissful moment in your mind. Does that sound like freedom? No. Judaism, very similar. It says, beat the body and mind into submission and perfect it so as to keep the whole law. And Paul says, you have to keep the, uh, if you're going to try to live by that, you have to try to keep the whole law. So Judaism says, try to, try to beat your mind and body to, to be perfect. Does that sound like freedom? No. It's not good news. So let us then move to the good news. Let us move, we have to define what the gospel is. We've, we've done that, this happens every week in this church, praise be to God for that. So we want to define, okay Nathan, if those things apart from Christ, outside of the gospel, if that's bondage, well then Nathan, you must make from the text, we have to see then, how does Paul show us that the gospel is freedom? Well we start in chapter 3 verses 10 and 13. At the first half, we find that for as many are as are of the curse of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who does, not by, by, who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to perform them. And then, so let's set this, set this up. Again, we've already talked about this. All the law has to be met. Cursed is everyone who does not abide all the things written in the book of the law to perform them. And then we find in verse 13, here's good news, friends. Here's good news. It says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. That's good news. We talked about this a few weeks ago. Mark Lederbach talked about this notion of the penal substitutionary atonement where the, where the wrath of God fell upon Christ himself. So all of that wrath that was due to fall upon each one of us Paul says in Galatians 3.13, Christ became that curse on our behalf. That's good news. That's good news. And it, and it goes on further. Look at, the, uh, look at this verse. It says at the very beginning, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. So we find a second aspect of the gospel. So we have this notion of Christ receiving the curse. We also find this notion of Christ redeeming us. That is, he bought us back. Just like if you were to go to a movie and you pay for that ticket, and you buy a ticket to let you go into that movie, you redeemed that ticket. In the same respect, Christ has redeemed us because he became that curse, because he was obedient to the law. He then redeemed us out of slavery back to the glorious reconciliation to enjoy the Father. We have been redeemed. That's good news. That's freedom. And it goes on, there's more. We find uh, in Galatians chapter 2, verse 16, this book is often uh, quoted uh, for justification, the aspects of justification by faith. And so here's what it says in chapter 2, verse 16. It says that, Nevertheless, knowing that, that a man is not justified, is not justified 
by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus. Even we have believed in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ, and not by works of the law. Since by the works of the law shall no man, shall no flesh, be justified. So we find further, so we've noticed this, this curse fell upon Christ. We found that the redemption, that God redeemed us back from what Christ has done. And we also find that Christ justifies us. That is, you stand in the midst of a courtroom and he looks at you and you're guilty, entirely guilty. And he says, clean, not guilty because of the blood of Christ. That's freedom. And it's not only that, Christ goes further than that in the notion of justification. He also begins to talk about this aspect that that the imputed righteousness comes. So you're not just declared free, he also gives you his righteousness. Folks, that's good news. That's good news. That's freedom, and it doesn't stop there. Galatians 4, 4 through 5 and 7 says, But uh, when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, in order that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Verse 7, Therefore you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. This is the notion of reconciliation. Reconciliation. So God doesn't just say you're okay. He makes you his own. He makes you part of his own family. So we have Christ receives the curse that was due to fall upon us. We find that he redeemed us back from slavery. We find that he has then justified and given us his righteousness. And then he tells us to come back and be reconciled to the family of God to enjoy him forever. Folks, that's good news. That's good news. So John Stott puts it this way. It's very helpful for us to think about the gospel. That is the thing that frees us. He says that we walk from the temple. That is, we we go in this temple where where the wrath of God falls upon the Lamb of God. So we go from there, and then we walk over to the slave market. We go in the slave market where slavery is trade, and we're bought back out of the slave market. And then we walk from the slave market, we walk over to the courtroom, and we walk inside the courtroom, and God declares us justified, and he gives us his righteousness. And then we walk back home. And he welcomes us in. That's freedom. That's freedom. That's freedom. Charles Wesley says in his famous line, Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. That's good news. The chains are off because the gospel is good news. And he has freed us from this law of sin and death that has bound us for so long. And we're, we're free from that. We don't have to worry about that anymore. So those that are found outside of the gospel, they're the ones in chains. And I'm wondering this morning, how many of you that are in the gospel live out this freedom every single day? Or is the gospel to you something that happened a while back? Is the gospel what happened to you when you just got saved? Or is the gospel something that is, frees you to love the lost, to help the church, to raise your son or daughter, to love your wife? Is it that sort of freedom? Is that the freedom that you're living out? Is that the freedom that you are proclaiming to the lost so that they don't see this description of a straitjacket Christianity, but they see someone that has been set free? Jerry Bridges tells the, the story of a, of a slave 
that a southern plantation owner dies, and this slave had been very faithful to him, then he gives him $50,000, which in the mid-19th century was a lot of money. And he gives him $50,000, and the slave doesn't do anything with it. The person, the lawyer comes and tells him that he has this $50,000, and the slave never does anything with it. A couple weeks go by, the lawyer calls him back, and he says to him, do you understand you have $50,000? And the slave says, oh, okay, Do, do do you think I can get 50 cents to buy a bag of cornmeal? But that's exactly what we do with the gospel. We do the same thing. We don't take the gospel for all that it's worth. We don't understand that it is, it is the freedom that has, been, that has set us free. And so I'm wondering this morning, have you thought about the gospel in this way before? Have you stopped just for a moment and pondered all that Christ has done for you? When is the last time you thought about Jesus receiving the wrath of God that was due you? When was the last time you thought about Jesus purchasing you from slavery, though you reveled in that slavery? When is the last time you thought about the fact that God has declared you justified, though you were guilty? When is the last time you thought about the fact that Christ did not only do these things, he calls you his son, his daughter, and he, and he gives you freedom, and he gives you uh, his own kingdom as an heir? Or maybe you're here this morning because you've pondered this message before and you've never done anything with it. And so that, if that's you, if that describes you, know that, the, that there's good news in Christ and there's freedom in the gospel. And so we find this notion of an identity shift, right? Daniel mentioned this just a moment ago. We find that having those of us that have come into the gospel, something changes. It, we're not the same person because, again, these, these chains have set us free. And you look in a very famous passage, Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. says, I have been, this is Paul speaking, I have been crucified with Christ. And it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and delivered himself up for me. You find this this transaction, right? We find something has changed. Those of us that are in the gospel, those of us who believe in Christ as the very Son of God who gave himself up for us, we die to self and we live to Christ. There is this identity shift that happens. And this is, again, this is freedom. Freedom requires death to self and then life to Christ. Christ died and rose again that you may live. And so what is the underlying motive in the midst of this identity shift? Look at the verse there. What's the identi- what is the motive in the midst of this? In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who, what? Loved me. The motive in the midst of all of this, amazingly enough, isn't this freeing? The motive is love. Christ loved us enough to do this. So the motive in the midst of all of this to come down, to take on flesh and to die on our behalf, the motive in the midst of that was love. And so what is the purpose then? What's the purpose we find in chapter 1, verses 4 and 5? Paul says at the beginning of this letter, who gave himself for our sins, Jesus, that he might deliver us from, a, from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forevermore. So we find that the ultimate purpose in the midst of all of this, the motive is love, the purpose is the glory of God. God says this so clear in Isaiah 43, 7, that these people whom I have created for my glory. The motive is love. The purpose is the glory of God in Christ. And so this notion of don't drink, don't smoke, don't chew, don't hang out with others that do. Y'all have heard that before. You may even have said it. Paul says no, that misses the gospel. 
that, that's, trying to, that's trying to do rule keeping. And Paul says, no, the gospel is freedom. It's not trying to set up these bunch of rules to try to keep in accordance to win God's favor. If you're in the gospel, you've earned God's favor. You're in the gospel. You are, you are a son. You are a daughter in the kingdom of God. Uh, the notion of, of trying to limit things misses the gospel. And so when we think about the ultimate purpose of the gospel, to give glory to God, John Piper helps us by asking us a very penetrating question. He asks it this way. He says, the acid test of faithfulness to the gospel is this. Do you feel more loved because God makes much of you? Or because at the cost of his son, he enables you to enjoy making much of him forever? It's a good question to ask. It's a good question to ask ourselves. As we think about this gospel, the freedom, this identity change, the beauty of the gospel, this is the, actually, this purpose here is actually when we, when we go to D.C., we set up our mission statement, and it reads like this. The name of our church, Lord willing, will be Restoration Church, and it reads in this manner. It says, Restoration Church seeks to delight, seeks to delight in the supremacy of Christ in all things, among all peoples, for the glory of God. That's our mission statement. Now, that sounds very strange, doesn't it? We delight in the supremacy of Christ in all things. We don't feel like we're, we're somehow enslaved to it. We delight in it. And so this notion of rule keeping uh, is, 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 is wrong. It misses the gospel. William Wilberforce uh, says, uh, puts it this way, my historical hero. He says, rather than trying to figure out what you can get away with and how close to the line they can get, Men and women would be attempting to discern what they could do to express their love for God. The motivation would be totally different. And we can only assume that the product would be also. Love avoids all that might harm the beloved and seeks out all that may be pleasing, he says. So the, the law, the freedom of God is given to us. And it was never intended to, to have you to be in bondage. But it was intended to set you free. And so I'm wondering this morning... Why is it so many of you go back to that enslaving idea? Look at chapter 4, verse 9. This is a penetrating question for us, so we want to look at this. Chapter 4, verse 9 says, But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how is it that you turn back to the weak and worthless elemental things to which you desire to be enslaved all over again? Ask yourself that question, church. If you are in Christ, some of you may be wrestling with this notion of going back into slavery and calling others to go back into slavery. And Paul is saying, why? Why are you doing that? There's freedom in the gospel. Live there. Call people to live there. Don't go back to it. So I wonder this morning, are some of us here this morning calling others or attempting to have others go back to that idea of going back into bondage? Don't return to personal bondage, but defend the good news. That's what Paul does. He defends the good news. In the midst of, of trial and tribulation in the early church, Paul writes in chapter 2, verses 4 or 5, but it was because of the false brethren who had sneaked in to spy out our, what? Liberty. So these false brethren are coming in to speak out, to come in to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus. Paul says, again, we have freedom in Christ in order to bring us into bondage. So these false brethren are coming in to take away their liberty and bring us into bondage. But may it never be that I should boast. Excuse me. Wrong verse there. 
Verse 5, but we did not yield in the subjection to them for even an hour so that the truth of the gospel would remain in you. So why did Paul defend this notion of the gospel? Why did he defend it? Why did he defend these people to try to come in and bring them in uh, to slavery? The reason why he does it is so that the gospel may be made true. That's why he did it. And it goes on. There's more. We also find in chapter 2, verses 11 through 14, you guys are familiar with this, this, this argument between Peter and Paul. And it says in chapter 2, verses 11 through 14, But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he stood condemned. For prior to the coming of certain men, James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he began to withdraw and hold himself aloof, fearing the party of the circumcision. The rest of the Jews joined him in hypocrisy, with the result that even Barnabas was carried away by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in the presence of all, If you, being a Jew, live like the Gentiles and not like the Jews, how is it that you compel the Gentiles to live like the Jews? In other words, Paul or Peter is in the midst of this situation, and when the Jews would come, he would remove himself from the Gentiles. And how does Paul defend that truth? Does he go and say, Hey, Peter, you're missing the whole Jew Gentile rule? Is that what Paul says? No. That's not at all what he says. He says, you're not being a reflection of the gospel. But so often, that's, we want to go back to the Jew-Gentile rule, right? But Paul says, no, 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 it's the gospel. So we have to defend the gospel. We must contend for the faith. We have to see, as it says in Romans, that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. It says it is the power. It's not just an aspect of power. It says the gospel is the power. It's the freedom. And so... We have to live within that freedom and see that the gospel was intended to usher in a community of free freedom over and against the community of bondage that is a works-based salvation. And so our freedom produces a gospel-centered life within a community of a gospel-centered people. Lastly, this freedom produces this idea of this notion of freedom and also it produces this idea of, of freedom within a community. Look at chapter 5, verse 13. It says, For you were called to freedom, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Don't you see? See, see that the temptation is, is to get this freedom and then sort of use it for our own license to do whatever it is we want to do. And Paul says, no. When you have this freedom, you were called to freedom, Paul says, and you should not take that freedom to do whatever it is you want to do Use it as an opportunity through love to serve one another. And so, working from the gospel, not towards it, working from the gospel, your life should be marked by a few things. Chapter 5, verse 22 through 26. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now that those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires, if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. And so I'm wondering this morning, when you look at that list, church, do you look at that list, ask yourself the question, are you living by these things? Is your life characterized by this? Is your life marked by love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness? Because if they're not, friends, if they're not, then you're in bondage. It would, it would be a good practice if you're married this morning to go home and to ask your wife or to have your wife ask the husband, say, do, do, I, do I hold up to these things? Is my life marked by these things? Because if they're not, that means that there's a part of my life that's enslaved. I don't want that to be the case. 
So the church is to be this gospel-centered community that is set free, who by love serves one another, that by the fruits of the Spirit is love and joy and peace. And we also find in chapter 6, verse 2, that we are to bear one another's burdens. We are to bear one another's burdens and thus fulfill the law of Christ. Because, right, when it says fulfill the law of Christ, what does that mean? Well, Christ bore our burdens, didn't he? He bore our burdens. And so, therefore, we should bear one another's burdens. And by God's grace, I've seen this in this church. I've seen it happen numerous times. That you do bear one another's burdens. And that's a wonderful testimony of the gospel, isn't it? And more. Chapter 6, verse 10, as we think about this gospel-centered community. So then, while we have an opportunity, let us do good to all men. And especially to those who are of the household of faith. Let us do good to all men. So the gospel doesn't say you don't have to do good things. It's just that our motivation is different. Paul says because of the gospel, remember, we're working from the gospel. We're not trying to work towards it. We're working from the gospel. And, we're, and we see that Paul admonishes us to do good to all men. And especially to those who are of the household of faith. Especially the church. Of all people, let us do good to them. And again, I've seen this in the church just, just this week. I've got an email from Bill Lewis that talked about how there is this family from Myanmar that's coming in and, and we needed to help them, provide for them. And that's exactly what happened. I went there just the other day. I walked in the house and, and there was a couch there. There was lamps there. There was a television there. They had books to read. They were cared for. I walked in there and, and I didn't do anything. I, I made a phone call and had their energy turned on. whoop de doo But you know what? That's the church serving one another. That's bearing one another's burdens. That's doing good to all men, especially to those of the household of faith. Guys, this is good news. This great news that we have the opportunity to serve one another in love. It's great news that Christ took the chains off of us and we can do this. Not out of sort of uh, uh, submission to or, or somehow we're a... Uh, we have to do these things, but we get to work from the gospel and we get to do these things. And it continues... Just this week, again, another good story about what happens to those that have been set free from the gospel. Just this week, Stephanie Lyon and Holly Carson walk over to a woman that has just given birth to a child out of, uh, uh, that wasn't married at the time. And her, the man that she was with, we have been, our small group has been loving and caring for. Joey Kraft has been doing an amazing job at this. And they share, they spend six hours with her. They spend six hours with her. If you were to ask them this morning, if you see Stephanie or Holly, ask them the question, was that burdensome? Was that enslaving to serve her? I guarantee you they're going to say no. And guess what happened? They taught her how to, how to feed a child. They taught her how to swaddle. They taught her how to, how to be a mom. And guess what? She came to Christ. That's good news. That's freedom. While we have an opportunity, let us do good to all men. And finally, Paul puts it so clear. But may it never be that I should boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Paul says so clear in 1 Corinthians 4, he says, What do you have that you have not received? What do you have that you have not received? And this morning, I'm asking you that question. What do you have that you have not received? Nothing. Nothing. And Paul says, we have everything because of Christ, and so we should never boast in anything in and of ourselves. 
So let us boast. If we're going to boast about anything, let us boast in Christ. Let us boast in Christ. Let us not boast about each other. Let us do, do good. Let us do good to one another because of the gospel. Let us boast about the good work of Christ upon a cross. Let us help the needy. Let us feed the sick. Let us go to the hard places of the world and care for them and give them medical care. But let us do it working from the gospel, working from the gospel, which is freedom that will tell a lost and dying world that Christianity is not a straitjacket. It's freedom. And so as I I wind down this morning, I, I want us to begin to think about the freedom that we have in Christ. Because the reality is, this morning, ladies and gentlemen, there's a reason why the outside, believe, the outside world believes our faith is a straitjacket. Because someone's taught that way. Perhaps some of the churches you were raised in taught this way. But not this church. Not this gospel message. And so could it be today is the day that you begin to live in the freedom of the gospel? Perhaps today you will release your pharisaical robes and live within the freedom of the gospel of Christ. Or lastly, maybe you have thought of Christianity as this idea that it is a sort of enslaving thing and so you don't really want to be a part of it. And so you thought maybe if you came to church, it could be a sort of deposit, it could be a sort of deposit into your God account that you could draw from later. Hopefully you've seen this morning that's not the case. That's not the truth and the beauty of the gospel. And so what I want to encourage you if you're outside of this community of faith and freedom, if you're outside of that, I want to, I want to encourage you to come. I want to encourage you to come and to pray and to talk to us and to pray with us. And if you are of the community of freedom, I pray that you live in accordance with that. Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful that we have Christ, that he came to set